The Edmonton Oilers have locked up one of their key top six pieces for the long haul, but a lot of questions still remain within their current lineup. Plus, we have a Stanley Cup Finals breakdown and plenty of award winners to tackle at the NHL Awards. Episode 276 of the Lace Em Up Podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Buff. Oddly enough, a busy week for uh, headlines. We got a contract extension out of Minnesota. More contract talks uh, with Kirill Kaprizov to follow. We have uh, coaching hirings in Arizona and Buffalo. And a trade between the Predators and Kings. We'll break all of that down along with what happened in the Stanley Cup Finals in greater detail next week. Um, but uh, we are going to talk about the NHL awards, among other things. But first, Brett, uh, some very, very sad news of yep. Columbus after uh, the sudden passing of goaltender Matisse Kivlenks. Kivlenks, yes. Well, if, also, first off, before I get into that, uh, happy 4th of July to all you Americans out there, and happy 1st of July for all you Canadians out there. Um, belated, but yes. Belated, uh, yes. Greetings but like those, us, yeah. you know, those things happened since the last time we have an episode, yes. so I wanted to, uh, yeah, we're, we're about to talk about something tragic that happened because of the 4th of July fe- festivities, yeah. but um, I also wanted to, to mention that. Um, yeah, so... So Matisse uh, Kivlenix, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, we, I'm, I'm not sure. I, it's, uh, I hope I pronounced that correct. Um, anyways, um, it appeared that he died because there was like a firework incident. Uh, it was apparently that he was getting out of a hot tub. He was with a group of people and he was getting out of a hot tub and I guess he like slipped and hit his head on some concrete. Although, um, according to Aaron Portsline, the autopsy says that um, it was fireworks mortar blast and um, it, there was also like some chest trauma and not, head, and not a head injury as first suspected. So, um, so it was either his head or his chest or both. Um, either way, it's it's pretty uh, tragic and uh, very very unfortunate. Um, this was also he was also the Latvian goalie uh, for team uh, for you know for the World Championships. Um, he even beat Team Canada in the World Championships for a score of two nothing. Um, and yeah, he was a Columbus Blue Jackets prospect, um, and it looked like he yeah he. Um, I mean, I guess there wasn't a guarantee that he would have been a starter, but he, like, you know, in passing, it seemed like he was always, like, um, he could have been, like, the next starter. Um, like, maybe he was, like, third in line um, behind Elvis and uh, Corpus Allo. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just tragic news, even if he didn't even, if he, even if he didn't, make it to the NHL because he, uh, you know, he had a chance and we'll never really know what happens. It, uh, it reminds me of the deaths of, um, 
Sheriff Hanoff, the Rangers prospect, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Luke Bourdon, uh, the Vancouver Canucks prospect, who also died. Um, and I think there's a few other like prospects who died, and we never really got to see their potential. Um, I know, yeah. I know, uh, in Windsor, Mickey Renault, who played for the OHL Spitfires, I'm not sure if he was a prospect on any NHL teams, but a very good leader on that team and uh, another a, another hockey talent that sadly uh, passed yeah. away far too soon. Unfortunately, there, it seems yeah. like there's a few of those out there. But yes, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, unfortunately, uh, uh, this, this it's always sad when someone dies and. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's tragic. Um, yeah. Um, and you just read all these different stories, like, um, of his whole career that he came to the U.S. at 17, um, and then he was, like, in junior hockey in the MNJHL, which no longer exists, and then he worked his way up to the NHL, then the USHL, and then he earned a pro deal, um, and then, yeah, uh, this is according to Chris Peters. Um, and then he, he hit every rung on the ladder and was on the cusp of becoming an NHL regular. It's just, um, it's unfortunate. So, um, yeah, do you have anything else you want to say about it? And then we'll, I guess we'll do like a moment of silence like we usually do when we talk about someone dying. Yeah, so we, we talked about his time in the USHL. Uh, this one season with the Sioux City Musketeers in particular, this was um, a year that he signed with Columbus. Didn't uh, get drafted by an NHL team, but signed as a free agent in the 2017 offseason. And this was the season that largely had something to do with it. He had five shutouts that year with Sioux City, along with a 1.85 goals against average, a stunning 9.32 speed percentage, and a record of 36-7-6. and uh, In the 13 playoff games that he played that year, uh, he went 8-3-2 with two shutouts, uh, 9.25 save percentage, and a 2.08 goals against average. Made his big league debut in 2020 against the Rangers, stopped 31-32, got the win in his debut, and while he only started two contests this year and played eight NHL games in total, um, his AHL resume, he had 85 games of experience there, and 41 of those happened to be his first season of pro hockey in Columbus. That was 2017-18. That, that team, it, the Monsters were not very good uh, in his first couple of seasons and this year went 6-2-0 with a 2.25 GAA like you said Brett climbing up the ladder getting better every year probably pushing for more playing time next year um and unfortunately it's it's now a case of what could have been and a lot of people from former captain Nick Foligno to president John Davidson uh, to commissioner Gary Bettman who of course uh, released a statement today after finding out this tragic news um, they were describing him as a guy that greeted every day and every one with a smile and um, just a personality that isn't going to be forgotten anytime soon. He'll, his memory will live on for sure in the, in the lives that he touched um, during his four years with the Columbus Blue Jackets and I'm sure during the many years he spent in other leagues too. 
Um, so this is this is a tough day for a lot of people. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Thoughts out to all the family and friends that actually knew him and cared for him. I saw that Yarmo Kekalainen tweeted something out there that was very thoughtful yeah. of his. Uh, I think Cam Atkinson said something. Max Domi had a picture of him hugging him. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it, it, that just shows, like, you know, even though Max Domi was, has only been on the Blue Jackets for a year now, it just shows how much, um, like, you can care for someone. Uh, because, like, if, even if you're in the franchise for one year, it just shows how, like, close they are, um, even for someone like a prospect who was just about getting his shot into the NHL. So... Um, yeah, it's just very sad. Um, we'll do a, a, a moment of silence like we do whenever someone passes and we talk about it, and then, um, and then we'll move on. All right, so, um, so now uh, <laughs> it's hard to transition after that, but... Uh, we're yeah, gonna try to. Um, so the the uh, so we do have uh, we're gonna talk about the, a bit of the awards. We're also gonna update uh, you guys on the Stanley Cup uh, finals. Uh, but we did and we have a couple of, like trades and signings that are gonna happen, and um, and co and new coaches uh, to talk about. But we're gonna talk about those news uh, next week, uh, just because like. The awards are probably going to take a lot of uh, time here. So, uh, but however, having said all that, um, the only big news that we felt like that was worth covering uh, this week as opposed to next week was uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins' new deal. Um, so he resigns with Edmonton. He gets an eight-year, $5.125 annual average value. Um, that's in millions, by the way. Um, this is uh, this is less than what he was making the last seven years, where he was making six million for seven years, um, and this is where he's taking less. Um, however, the big difference here is that he has a no movement clause for all eight of these years. I have a feeling that was probably like a big reason why he was willing to take less was because he yeah. wanted that no movement clause. Um, it was a little bit surprising that, like, when you see that total and you're like, wait, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is, like, their fit, their third best skater, um, arguably their third best player, um, like, he should be making more than that, but, um, yeah, Edmonton got lucked out in that, in that sense, um, he, the, I guess there are some question marks for, for that, because, like, obviously, whenever you sign a no-movement clause... Uh, someone to a no movement clause that there's always that inherent risk but and uh, not to mention the fact that like Nugent Hopkins had his worst season this year um, or like he's kind of slowed down this year but at the same time um, you know like y you can kind of I feel like all the stats and all the players this year can kind of be taken um, with a grain of salt because like of the like there's no fans in the stadium it's not your usual season it wasn't an 82 game season type thing so it's hard to really 
Um, and there's like different practice schedules. Maybe he came down with COVID or, you know, like you don't know, maybe there's uh, something mental there as well. So you don't really know what's going on and you can say this about everyone. Um, but um, yeah, so so he did have a down year this year. He's 20, he's gonna be 28 years old. Um, however- he actually, actually just turned 28. He just turned fact. 28. Um, he'll be 36 when this deal ends, yes. which is what a lot of people have right. question marks about. It's just like, oh, he's into his late yeah. 30s now. Ish, well, yeah, I was I was about to get to that because like yeah. the fact that like this could look really bad when he, later on in his contract when he's like yeah thirty six and he's not as good as he used to be. Um, mm-hmm. However, like you know the Oilers kind of have a unique situation cap situation where they're paying McDavid a lot of money, they're paying Drysaddle a lot of money. Um, and they don't have enough room for other people, play, like players, um, that can complement those guys. Um, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins is has been a pretty consistent guy for them um, throughout. So, um, so like you know, at five million, like yeah, there's a chance that he'll drop off. Um, but I don't, I don't think he'll necessarily drop off the next couple of years. Um, but, or, but like, yeah. And even if he does, it's like, you know, he's making 5 million. It's not, it's not like a Milan Lucic type situation or it's not a, um, I'm trying to think of like Jeff Skinner, uh, type thing. So, um, it's something that you can kind of handle even if, uh, you can't move it as easily. Um, yeah. So what do you, what do you have on Ryan Nugent Hopkins? So the pro of this mainly is that he took 875000 less compared to his previous cap hit to stay long-term in Edmonton. He was getting $6 million per year in his previous deal. I think that was a six-year agreement with the Oilers um, in September of 2013. I believe he signed that. Um, and we're looking right now at a flat cap for the current season, uh, for the current season, the next season, and possibly the one after that. And most of this money is going to be paid from the start of year three to the end of year five. Uh, during that time, it's uh, 6.25 million year three, 6.25 million year four, 6 million in year five, two of which uh, is uh, bonus money. Um, so that's where the bulk of the money gets paid out. It's interesting because year six, I believe at the start of that season, uh, Leon Dreisaitl needs a new contract, and his cap hit is $4.75 million, his being Nugent Hopkins. So you start to see the money dive as Leon Dreisaitl um, is supposed to get paid. And right now his cap hits $8.5 uh, $8. with the Oilers, and arguably one of the best bargains in the league right now when you consider the hard trophy that he won last year, when you consider his numbers this year and the season before last year. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl is on top of the hockey world among players not named Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby. Um, so, like, top five talent, can't go wrong, and a bargain for the Oilers that you would you would think he's probably going to get at least $10 million on the next deal. So, Ken Hall, knowing that, best to pay Nugent Hopkins money now and save some uh, for when you have to fit in new contracts for 
uh, Drysdale and McDavid, who, by the way, a year after Drysdale's supposed to get paid, McDavid's contract's up, so you need to pay him. And even though it's $12.5 million right now, at the very least, it's going to be at least $12.5 million, uh, because Connor McDavid is just that good at hockey. Um, so, yeah, the backtabbing starts in year six, continues to year eight, but um, the no move remains intact. So if they're in that big of a cap crunch and they need to move a quality player like Nugent Hopkins that offers a lot um, to the table for any team that trades for him, at the same time, Nugent Hopkins has that no move, so he could potentially say, I want to go to this right. team instead of this there, team. Yeah. Which is where they get into the sticky situation. It's not like the cap hit is 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 hell for them to navigate. It's yeah. nothing like that. It's just that you're giving the player the power to call his shot. That's what Nugent Hopkins is getting. He's getting certainty. He's getting the power to determine his fate um, with this team, basically. Um, so that's that's where you get into the dangers of it. In terms of the actual value, you're getting a lot of versatility. This is a guy that can take face-offs. He can also play the wing. He's been fairly good at times um, in both areas. Um, but I, I feel like this is one of the most interesting cases that we've seen because his numbers just continue to fluctuate, and there have been a lot of revolving doors of players that uh, he's played with. You take a look at his rookie year where he got 52 points in 62 games. Um he was averaging around 17, 18 minutes per game. That year, he spent a lot of time with Jordan Eberle and Taylor Hall as a first-year player. And he got 69 points over an 82-game pace and didn't play in 20 games that season. And, of course, everyone knows the Oilers weren't that good defensively and overall during this time, so the results weren't there in terms of team stats. But individually, it was a good year for Nugent Hopkins. Uh, that trio of Everlay Hall and Nugent Hopkins continued to see more ice time in the lockout shortened season and at this point they're fighting for points with Sean Morkov and Alice Hemsky on the top power play unit along with these guys uh, which goes to show you how long he's been on the Oilers so right. far we get to year three where Ryan Nugent Hopkins is sometimes playing with David Perron, who's a streaky player, not an established first-line player like he is in St. Louis now. You also have Nail Yakupov, who once upon a time was a first-overall pick, no longer in the league, but at that time, still working his way into the league, still has a lot of upside. And for the most part, he's still with uh, Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle. It's Nugent Hopkins. And you also have an aging Ryan Smith making appearances. That brings us to the uh, McEichel draft, where he gets 56 points for a second straight season, except he does it in four fewer games, so his points per 82 games is better. Um, his shots on goal that year is 189. He's averaging 20 minutes per game for a second straight year, and he's getting a lot of power play time. And you look at this lineup, and you're just like, geez, Penwalk Pouliot? Is right. in the equation when Taylor Hall's not on the top line. You have Anton Lander, Teddy Purcell, who are in the power play combos for Nugent Hopkins as well. Same with Pouliot. And yet he still played well during those teams. Then you get into the McDavid era. First year, Nugent Hopkins only plays 55 games, but he gets 34 points. So that's 51 points over 82 games. Uh, then year two of the McDavid era, 43 points, 82 games. 
Um, and his power play time uh, drops again. It rises up a little in 2017-18. He gets 24 goals and 48 points in 62 games. But still, McDavid is the straw that stirs the drink. And you look at the likes of Nugent Hopkins, and he's playing with guys like Milan Lucic. And there's also the McDavid and Ty Ratty experiment that didn't really last that long, too. You have Jesse Pugliarvi in the mix now, Mike Camilleri, Ryan Strome, Drake Jula. Pontus Aberg. Within that three-year stretch, all of these names are being experimented with Nugent Hopkins, and it's just a constant success slash failure for the most part. So you're really trying to find that perfect combination for Nugent Hopkins, and it seems like you find it this past year, 2019-2020, when he has 61 points in 65 games, and he has that chemistry with Dreisaitl and Taylor Yamamoto. Although most of it is probably dry style, but still a lot of chemistry with those two guys. And then this year, only 52 games played, he had 35 points. So that's a 55 point pace, a 12 point dive from the expected points per 82 pace compared to last year. And this time, you look at his power play numbers nine goals, 11 assists, 20 points, averaging 413 of power play time, and yet his points for 82 drops with the likes of McDavid and Dreisaitl on that power play unit. Yeah. And just just to just to put everything into perspective, uh, I don't know if you've seen this tool, this new tool, Brett, from uh, Frozen Tools on Dover Prospects, but um, they actually had a breakdown of. Um, actual line combinations, the shots for, shots against, with them on the ice for power play and even strength. <laughs> and I came across this power play stat in uh, one minute sixteen. Uh, sorry, in 116 minutes 37 seconds of power play time with Dreisaitl McDavid and Alex Chason, Ryan Nugent Hopkins helped the Oilers outshoot opponents. 148 to 22 and outscored teams 22 to 4. On another combo that features the likes of Drysdale McDavid and James the Real Deal Neal, teams playing against that unit were outshot 47 to 3 and outscored 12 to nothing in only 41 minutes and 30 seconds of power play time. Yep. So again, 35 points in 52 games. 20 of those 35 points and 9 of his 16 goals came on the power play. So, yeah, it's interesting if you put him on the wing, if you put him at center and you get results. But consistently, when you're in normal situations, in normal 5-on-5 situations, what is Ryan Nugent Hopkins going to do for you? Because there's no question his power play numbers have been pretty good the past couple of years with the amount of studs that he's playing with. Yeah. But finding a perfect fit for Nugent Hopkins is so crucial because you're just like, okay, we know what Brian Nugent Hopkins is going to be, whether it's a first-line winger, a second-line winger, maybe he's a third-line center, and he completes that third line. Now that you know what you're going to do there, you need to find out the other hole. So if you're going to put Nugent Hopkins as a third-line center – you need to find that second line left winger or 
that third line left winger that's really going to mesh well with Nugent Hopkins. Right. So how are you going to fill that void? Are you going to buy out James Neal? Are you going to buy out Miko Koskinen? Because you still need to upgrade the goaltending. I firmly believe they still have to do that. What are you going to do with Tyson Berry? Do you think one of the young guys like Broberg or Bouchard are going to be able to fill that spot? There's so many unknowns with this Oilers team. At the very least, Ken Holland has bought himself some time to think about it and say, okay, I got Nugent Hopkins out of the way. How am I going to fi- fix the rest of this? But I don't really know. Even, even by keeping Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the Oilers haven't really solved anything. They still have the same offense, the same bottom six holes they need to fill, and they still need to take that next step and reestablish themselves as a playoff winner. Getting to the playoffs does not make you a playoff winner. It just means you're capable of making it to the playoffs. But you've only won, what, a a playing game against the Hawks in which you lost the other three and got swept out of the first round against a Winnipeg team that you clearly and no doubtably owned during the regular season. There's so much left to answer for Ken Holland, and this this contract doesn't answer any of that. It just it, it's just one less thing the Oilers have to worry about, basically. Well, first off, I would you said a lot of stuff, and I let you go on. I think you talked for like five full minutes there. Um, so, uh, so good on you there. Um, but, uh, the, the thing that, a couple of things that I feel like I should mention, um, yeah, like, I, I guess it, like, it doesn't fill any holes and all that stuff, but at the same time, like, Ryan, like, I think the, the thing that the Oilers are going to have to worry about, um, in the future and just in terms of building a cup team with McDavid and, you know, building around McDavid and Dreisaitl is the supporting cast. And when you look at it, like, and you just made a list of all the guys that uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins had played with, um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, like, with the exception of Taylor Hall, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is by far the most talented Oilers player that uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid have ever played with. Um, And so if you can keep him at, like, and... And not to mention at the in the open market, if he was a unrestricted free agent, um, he would be making a lot more than five point one two five million. So, like in in that respect, I think the Oilers won this contract, quote unquote, won uh, because like you know you get this guy for cheap, you don't have to worry about um, like him leaving. Um, and, and going on to different pastures, and he's been pretty consistent, uh, not counting this past year. I, again, I'm taking that as a bit of an aberration for him, um, or I'm going to cut him some slack just due to COVID being a thing. Um, and, and yeah, so you have that, that aspect of it where he can play with, and, and as you mentioned, he is like versatile. He can be a left winger. He can also be a center if need be. So um, you can kind of put him on the dry subtle wing if you want to. You can also put him at center if you need that extra depth. Um, and but and I think this is like, yeah, they, they probably have to worry about the like the seven other guys uh, that aren't dry subtle McDavid or Nugent Hopkins. 
But, you know, Nugent Hopkins is pretty legit, and he's someone that um, that should, um, you know, that's going to make a good supporting cast for this Oilers team. Um, do I think that they're going to win the Cup because of this contract? Um, it's tough to say at the moment because, like, I'm not sure, but I, I do know that Ryan Nugent Hopkins probably would be making seven or eight million on the open market, and that's money that they could the Oilers will be able to save um, in in paying other players and you know paying other guys in their supporting team. Um, so I don't think they're gonna like um, maybe they'll they'll make a, another move uh, when the off season officially starts. Um, but, but yeah, at the moment, I don't, I don't think it, it's like, um, it's like going to like hurt their contract, um, down the line when, uh, McDavid and Drysaddle are both in their prime. Um, I think the other thing that to, to mention is, which I find kind of interesting was the fact that it's a no movement clause. Um, and this is before the Seattle draft, um, in a couple of days. So, um, so this means that, I mean, they probably, uh, they didn't need to protect him if he was going to stay being an un, unrestricted free agent. But now that they gave him a no movement clause, um, they have to protect him, which is fine because that's something that they were going to do again. But that means that another player is going to be left exposed. I think we when we did it, uh, when I just like looked back at like, okay, who would Edmonton leave exposed if they couldn't like you know now that they have to keep Brian Nugent Hopkins and we came down to like um it was either going to be James Neal Zach Cassian or like Josh Archibald or something so it's like they're, they're still in pretty good shape on uh who who left to keep um so so yeah I don't think it's it's that big of a deal but it is an interesting a standpoint of like doing it now instead of doing it right after the Seattle expansion draft. Um, yeah, well, I, I yeah. mean, like if they were able to even just like convince Seattle to take yeah. James Neal, they would take that. Right. Like, like you also throw in like names like Kyle Turris and Tyler Ennis as well. There, there, there are names in in our email chain that uh, we tossed around as to okay, who could be right left unprotected by the Oilers, and I think maybe Chris Russell is another name, too. There, There isn't really anyone on the list that we tackled in our email chain where I'm just like, yeah, the Oilers are really going to feel that. Maybe no. Dominic Cahoon. Yeah, maybe possibly. feel that a little bit, but that's pretty much the only name, really. And they could afford to keep him um, because we we came down to it that they're definitely keeping McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Obviously. Um, Yamamoto and Pugliarvi are the other fo- uh, other forwards that they're probably going to keep, or they, they it would be stupid if they didn't. Um, and then from the defensive side of things, they're definitely keeping Nurse. They'd be stupid not to keep uh, Clefbaum, even though you know he's injured for a year, um, or he was injured for a year. They're still probably protecting him, but that's still like um, that's seven people when like it doesn't even matter which model they go for, which is probably the 7-3-D-1-G model. Like, that means that they're keeping two forwards that they can afford to lose. Um, so, so yeah, they're, they're still in pretty good shape. It's just a little bit odd just because they're doing it just, but, like, they're going to, 
they were probably going to keep, you know, I don't think Seattle was going to take Ryan Nugent Hopkins anyways, but um, it is a little bit interesting that they're doing it just to, um, to do it. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of the Oilers, um, we're going to talk about the most obvious award uh, handed out <laughs> to, uh, uh, to uh, this week. Um, well, it was the last couple of weeks. Um, so we have a handful of awards that happened, and we don't want to uh, take too much out of it, but uh, we're going to start off with the heart, which of course went to Connor McDavid. Um, Austin Matthews got um, got a, and, and McDavid were the top three um, in the Hart Trophy a list. Um, and yeah, McDavid was like wire to wire the best player. Um, we, we even did a whole episode about him um, a couple of times where he had like 100 points in these 56 games. Um, and that's, you know, so he's, he had like the best season in the post lockout era. Um, even though, you know, these awards were, uh, voted on before the playoffs, but, um, there's no doubt that he was the best player, um, in the league. Um, and, and I guess you could make a case that he's playing against like weaker competition in the, the Canadian division. But at the same time, like, the Montreal Canadiens are in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, so it's like, you can't even say that anymore. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, it, was, it was well-earned. I guess you could have made a case about Austin Matthews. Um, Nathan McKinnon, I might be a little bit biased. I, um, but I would have put Brad Marchand in the finals there just because of the tough division that he was in and he was able to he you know he came in third in points um and he should have been there um but i guess he's always going to be hampered because he plays with guys like bergeron and david pasternak um so so i get that but it's still like you know uh it, it seemed like marshawn should have at least gotten some recognition but um, I, I know that he got first team all star, so I'm fine with that. Um, anyways, that's not about the Bru- we'll not we're not doing a Bruins corner here, um, and um, and also uh, McDavid won the Ted Lindsay, which is voted on by the players, um, and and that just shows that even the players agree that McDavid um, is uh, the best player, um, and and that's that that makes sense there. Uh, Crosby and McKinnon were the top three, or the other two in that top three for the Ted Lindsay. Um, yeah, what else do you have on McDavid that wasn't already said? <laughs> well, um, first off, the fact that he was like unanimous. Like yeah. the only other Hart Trophy winner to get every single first place ballot was Wayne Gretzky in 1982. And uh, might I remind people, Wayne Gretzky won eight straight. Hart trophies once upon a time to give you a case of how great the great one is. And he only did it once. And he's the only player to get every single first place ballot. Um, I I know it's a cliche to say that like, just when you think you've seen it all from Connor McDavid, he he just goes up another level. It's, it it just proves how incredible he was this season. And, what how, what he did and and how incredible it was 
by getting every single first place vote. So kudos to Connor for that. Um, Matt Matthews season definitely worthy of like top five and heart voting. The fact yep. that he got second was interesting. I, 41 I goals against. in 56 games is uh, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Even Very impressive. Yeah. And I know people are going to say, well, you know, they're in a tough division. I'm just like, yeah, well, so is McDavid. Right. And uh, McKinnon and Colorado, that you had to go through the California teams that were basically cannon True. fodder and yeah. Arizona too. So That's the division wasn't yeah. exactly stronger than the, the Canadian, right? So, right, right. That's the only thing that I... I kind of wanted, that's why the only benefit that I thought, like, Brad Marchand had over uh, McKinnon was just the fact that he was in a tougher division, Um, whereas, like, yeah, McKinnon had, you know, 65 points, but Brad Marchand had 69 points, um, and he was third in points, and he was, like, he was by far the, uh, he was by far the the highest point getter uh, for anyone in that division. Uh, so it's that that part's a little bit crazy that McKinnon got over Brad Marchand. Not to not I mean McKinnon's obviously a better player than Marchand is, but um, that that part's a little bit ridiculous to me. It's just like how could you not put him third at least? Like I can understand Matthews. I obviously understand McDavid, but that that part is a little bit frustrating to me. But Again, not going on the Bruins talk. <laughs> um, I, I will say, um, because it would be redundant to just expand further on McDavid's incredible season, I'll tell you how some of the other votes break down because they are interesting. Sure. Uh, Crosby finished fourth in voting. He had 11 second-place votes, 13 third-place votes, 24th place, 21 fifth-place votes. Um, so he finished fourth behind McKinnon, who finished third. Uh, Brad Marchand, your boy, with 134 voting points, finished fifth. Uh, 19 of those were fifth place. 16 of those uh, were fourth place. He even had six second place votes. So I don't know how many of them were Boston beat writers, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, Barkov finished in sixth. Very happy to see that. He had three second place votes and eight third place votes, which is interesting there. Vasilevsky with 57 total points. He finished seventh. Um, even had two votes uh, for second place and two votes for third. So, hey, pretty good. Um, Dreisaitl, uh, who won the Hart Trophy last year, finished eighth. Mark Stone, I thought Mark Stone would get more Hart Trophy votes, so I'm kind of surprised he only finished ninth, but at the very least deserved to be top ten, so okay. I'd like to see that. Rantanen was tenth. Saros was, uh, actually did pretty well. He finished eleventh with, uh, most of those being fifth place votes, he had three of those. Uh, you also had Adam Fox on that list, Kirill Kaprizov, Dala Dala Bill Kirill, uh, tied for 15th, and uh, also names like Sebastian Ajo, Ryan O'Reilly, Connor Halibut uh, uh, popping up there. And among guys with one first place vote, you had Halibut, Marner, and uh, Brett's other favorite player on the Bruins, David Pasternak. Yep. Yeah, thanks. I, I like this because I don't I don't have the the how the votes were carried over, so so I'm yeah, glad I don't you were able to tell me. That. I don't think they provided the ten Lindsay. Yeah, they yeah. did provide the heart. Right, right. Okay. And uh, it, it it should be noted that the nominees for the Ted Lindsay were Matthews and Crosby. McKinnon was not nominated for Player MVP, but Crosby was. I thought I said 
I thought I said the, the two other guys were. Um, yeah, no. Uh, well, there's a difference between the Hart and the Lindsay, and that is... Uh, yeah, it's McKinnon voted by nominated, the players. Yeah, McKinnon was nominated for the Hart, and Crosby was nominated for the Lindsay, and the other two were nominated for both. Oh, you mean like Matthews wasn't even nominated for the Lindsay? Uh, no, he was, but uh, Crosby was. Uh, sorry, Crosby was nominated for the Lindsay, uh, and McKinnon was not. So that was the difference. Is the younger guy from Cole Harbor got the Hart Trophy nominee? The slightly older guy from Cole Harbor got nominated for the Ted Lindsay. I have here in your notes that McKinnon was nominated for the Ted Lindsay. Okay, then those notes are wrong. My bad. I, I have, yeah, I have here that Crosby and McKinnon are top three with McDavid for the Lindsay, and then Matthews and McKinnon are top three yeah. with. I got the Cole Harbor boys mixed up, so yeah. <laughs> well, no, you just got you just got Crosby and Matthews mixed up because McKinnon was yeah. three for okay, both. Okay, yeah. yeah. I got Anyways. Canadian American mixed up. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I had to correct you. Mixed up the wrong people. Yeah, yeah, it's it's okay. I, I feel like I have, you know, it, it's so rare that you you're wrong on these things. So I figure <laughs> I should uh, I should mention that. Um, all right. Uh, so now we're going to, uh, uh, oh, the I, I guess we'll do the the Vezina now. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury gets the Vezina. Um, this one. I, I guess this makes some sense. Uh, he had a twenty. He had twenty six wins. Um, he had a nine twenty eight save percentage and a goals against average of one point nine eight. Um, however, I'm looking here. Nedeljkovic was the leader in both the save percentage and goals against average. Um, I thought Grubauer might have had a better chance, or even Vasilevsky had a better chance, um, but. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it, it's also hard to say that Fleury didn't deserve it, um, just considering that like Robin Leonard did have a poor showing of this past, um, you know, uh, during the you know during the regular season. I mean, Fleury was kind of relied upon um, even more than he should have been, um, and yeah, he he made it um, his own, but. I don't know. I, I feel like this was one of the ones that I guess it, it should have gone to like guys like Vasilevsky or Nedeljkovic or even Varlamov. Uh, Grubauer I would have also been okay with, but um, but yeah, they they went with uh, Mark Andre Fleury. Um, the other two were Grubauer and Vasilevsky, um, but yeah, th I think this is Fleury's first. Uh, Vezina trophy that he's won so uh, good on him um, you know it, it, like last year uh, he was uh, his agent was passive aggressively or I guess aggressively um, it wasn't really passive aggressively he made a tweet that was calling out the, the coach and the GM of Vegas for getting Robin Leonard and then um, yeah he gets um, the Vezina um, his first Vezina here. So, yeah. Oh, and, yeah, I'm just looking at his hockey re reference page. Yes, that was his first Vezina that he's won. But, um, yeah, I was, a, I was a little bit surprised that it wasn't Grubauer or Vasilevsky, at least. But, um, yeah, what, what, I, what say you? I feel like it's the scenario that happened a couple of years ago with Pecorine, where it's just like 
this is probably his best and final chance to get nominated for the best now. Might yeah. as well give it to him now. I think any other year it probably goes to Vasilevsky. Grubauer had an amazing year. The fact that Vasilevsky still got a 30-win season in a season where he played practically every game uh, and and I know that he was on a team like Tampa Bay, but like there were a lot of good teams in Tampa Bay's division. You had Nashville, you had Dallas that were kind of like fighting for their lives at various points. There was Florida and Carolina that at actually and and again I said before he didn't look at Tampa Bay can see why a lot of people thought Vasilevsky or bust for the Vesna but I nevertheless I am glad that Marc-Andre Fleury did win it was actually a close uh, race in the polls Uh, Fleury finished with 108 points Vasilevsky had 99 which is only nine points behind Flower and in terms of first place votes 14 for Fleury 12 for Vasilevsky Um, so it was it was a pretty close race between those two um, in terms of other people that received votes, uh, Connor Hellebuck had two first place votes and three third place votes, so he finished fourth behind Grubauer. Yeah, that's another uh, Varlamov finished behind him in fifth with uh, one first place, one second place, three third place votes. UC Saros, again, we mentioned how he got some Hart Trophy votes, got a fair amount of Vesna voting, no first place votes, but he did get one for second and he got seven for third. Mike Smith, uh, a lot of people in Calgary are probably losing their minds. Mike Smith got a pair of third-place votes. He finished seventh uh, in that running. My favorite, um, my favorite part that probably factored into this voting, uh, in terms of teams that didn't even vote, or uh, GMs that didn't even vote for the top three goalies, because I believe this was a GM-based oh, award. really? And you couldn't, you couldn't vote for your own goalie you had to vote for goalies on other teams right yeah three gms left vasilevsky off the ballot entirely and i'm very curious to know who those gms are because Uh, how do you not even give vasilevsky a third place vote with the season he had okay that's interesting because i wonder because of this year where like you you're only playing seven teams on a regular basis um i wonder if that had an effect on it like you're not, you're probably only focused on your own team, um, so like I wonder if that had an effect, you know, um, on on the GM's vote because they're not necessarily like watching the entire league or like you know in a, a normal season they would be playing these goalies, you know, <laughs> what at least once a year. Um, so, so that, that is interesting that it's a GM vote. I didn't know that it was a GM vote. Um, but maybe that, that is a factor. Like I, I would imagine the, the T, the player or the GMs that didn't vote for Vasilevsky, I would be surprised if those were teams that weren't in the central division. Yeah. Um, that, that, that is an interesting point too, but it should be noted as well, given uh, who voted for Flurry? Right. Uh, so we had 14 first place, 11 second place, 5 third place. So that's 30 of 31. Um, so unless my math is wrong, 
all but one GM had Fleury on their ballots, and all but three GMs had Vasilevsky on their ballot. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Um, okay, uh, we also have uh, a bit of a surprise for me here. Uh, was the the Norris uh, Adam Adam Fox one? Um, this is more surprising, not because they got it wrong, but um, because like I kept on seeing like guys from like Dom decisions of the Athletic, and I think um, Jay Fresh, who's on Twitter a lot too, um, they kept on saying that Adam Fox deserved it, um, but like I I felt like. It felt like, you know, I feel like the Norris Trophy is one of those awards that they just do it for, like, a great career, great legacy. It's like, okay, this it's this guy's time to, to win it this year. I think they did that, like, for Drew Doughty one year or something like that. So it's like, it always feels like that type of award. So I was surprised that they actually got Adam Fox correctly. Um, he had, like, a, he, I mean, when you look at his stats, he had a, uh, 47 points in uh, 55 games, which is second most in the, uh, among defensemen. He also had a plus 19, which I know, you know, plus minus are kind of uh, a wonky stat, but um, but still that is impressive when it like stands out that much. Um, and uh, yeah, he was um, he was he was evidently like I mean yeah the Rangers didn't make the playoffs this year, but um, he was definitely a big reason why the the Rangers were close to making the playoffs versus not even being close to making the playoffs, you know, just being a lottery team. So I, I think that was a good um, a good award to give him out to because he definitely deserves it. Um, the other guys who were in the running was Victor Hedman and Kale McCarr. What's also interesting is, and it I I saw saw it somewhere was that Tyson. You, you probably have the the votes somewhere, but I did see this that Tyson Berry was the is the first defenseman ever to lead defenseman in points, but not even get a first place vote, um, which is crazy. <laughs> I guess that just shows how bad he was in defensive. Um, Defensive not, stuff. Uh, not only that, according to the Norris Trophy voting ballot on the list, it doesn't even seem like he even got. Oh, he didn't even period. get a vote. Oh, he wow. didn't even get a point. No. Okay, so yeah, that's even crazier. Like, like, yeah. Right at the bottom of the list, it's Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak of the Islanders both got a fifth place vote. Oh wow. And he's not even on the list. Tyson Berry's not even on there. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, because like even last year, John Carlson won had the most points, but he didn't win the Norris. Um, so it's like, you would think that at least you would get something, but maybe that just shows like how people are aware that the Canadian league has like, you know, does that. Then again, like then you wouldn't put McDavid, you wouldn't make McDavid the unanimous guy if you believe that. So yeah, I don't understand. It also helps when you have McDavid and Dreisaitl who have won the previous our trophies right. together, but it also yeah. helps when you have those two feeding you passes on the power yeah. play. Like, the other, yeah, and, and, that's and it's power play is like top three in the league, so it's just like, oh yeah, of course you're gonna get like a right, right. Play uh, that's true, guys, right? Yeah, that's fair. I and it like it wasn't like he had a great season last year, 
Um, so mm-hmm. I guess maybe that was also it because you're like, okay, he's he's doing that. It sh- he should be an interesting free agent though next year or this off season. Um, but um, but yeah. So anyways, not to not to take too much attention on Tyson Berry. Uh, what are your thoughts on Adam Fox winning this award? Adam Fox, when you look at the first two seasons, the fact that he won it so soon is is a little bit shocking, but. I mean, you look at the Rangers' back ends and how banged up it kind of was. I mean, Keandre Miller wasn't, like, banged up, but, like, this is a new guy hitting the scene and, you know, a guy that's a lot's expected out of him, quite the potential, big name to live up to, right? And then you have the stuff going on with Tony D'Angelo to right. the point where he's like not even on the team, just buried in the minors or not even playing at all, just sitting there unused. And then you have Jacob Truba struggling to find his game slash dealing with injuries middle of the season. And there's also Artemi Panarin missing that whatever was couple weeks stint and Zabanajat was struggling early on and you weren't sure how the offense was going to shake up with the young guys too. And Adam Fox just goes out and puts up points in his second season and really looks like the number one defenseman on this team right now. Offensively speaking, he's the best defenseman in just a short period of time. Um, I'm not surprised that he won this award. I mean, I kind of am, but like, I'm not, my jaws hit the floor. I'm absolutely shocked that he won this. Like it's a miracle that he won this. It's not a miracle. Adam Fox had a good oh, yeah. rookie season and followed it up with an even better season and was the best defensive player on the roster. Like, he's Artemi Panarin, except he plays defense. Right. And really gave thing, that offense um, an extra little bit of jolt. And they're going to be so fun to watch defensively over the next several years to come yeah. because of Adam Fox. So I'm I'm not really surprised on that. Um also, taking a look in terms of the voting, Makar got second. So the fact that Hedman got third, he finished below Makar as well, is also a little bit surprising. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the previous award winners, uh, or top three, I should say, uh, Roman Yossi won the award last year, finished tied for 14th with a fourth-place vote and a fifth-place vote. So not even in the top ten this year. Neither was John Carlson. He finished 12th with a pair of fourth-place votes. That's all he got. Um, in terms of young defensemen also making waves, you have uh, your boy Charlie McAvoy Woo-hoo. in fifth place. Pretty, pretty good season for him. Shea Theodore, a lot of people have been paying close attention to him on Vegas. He finished behind McAvoy in sixth place. Uh, with, and uh, both McAvoy and Theodore, by the way, got a pair of uh, first place votes. So already people... Uh, around um, the media circles think that these guys are ready to win the Consmite, or not the Consmite, the Norris, eventually. Right. Uh, maybe they will win a Consmite someday, who knows. Uh, Darnell Nurse of the Edmonton Oilers finishes in seventh. He didn't get a single first place vote, but he got ten fourth place and ten fifth place, three second place and three third place. So, getting a little bit of respect to his name. Mackenzie Weger in eighth. That's uh, pretty interesting, but good for him. Uh, Chris Letang, I don't know if he should have gotten one first place votes. Um, I think definitely think he played well enough to deserve some votes. 
I don't know if he was that good enough to win the Norris Trophy. Nevertheless, still finishes in ninth. The guy below him who leads the defenseman in goals scored this year, Jacob Chikrin, also got a first place vote, but uh, 10 fewer points than Latang, so that's why he finished in 10th. I thought he should have been maybe a little bit higher, but uh, if Jacob Chikrin continues to elevate his game, um, I think you could see him consistently in the top five uh, for Norris voting, at least. Um, it was a great season for him. And also, uh, Dougie Hamilton finishing in fourth. Uh, good for him in a contract year. And uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, teams will be taking a look at that and saying, he's, he's worth the money we're about to give him. Yeah, that that's uh, another free agent that should be interesting to see what where he goes and what he gets because of his season. Um, yeah, and and as for Charlie McAvoy, I had a feeling that like he should. I mean, I get again Homer glasses on. I was hoping that he would be like at least top three. I had a feeling he wasn't going to get a ton of votes just because I know he isn't like he wasn't on power play one. For most of the season, so um, so that's probably what hindered him from from get, getting even more votes. But even still, like it's impressive that he was even even able to get uh, get fifth um, when he isn't even like the power play guy. Um, so so maybe eventually, if he does take that role, um, he'll start to to get that. Um, but we'll see. Um, we're now going to the. Calder Trophy. This is another one that was so obvious um, that uh, I I was kind of pushing a Jason Robinson Robertson vote for the Cal Calder, but um, at the end of it, it just made sense that it's Kirill Kaprizov. Um, he was a big reason why the um, why the Wild made the playoffs, and you know before this season, we thought that. You know, there's a chance that Kaprizov could help this team, but we didn't really think uh, because that they would make the playoffs, um, and we didn't really think that uh, you know because that all the moves that they made were like rebuilding type moves. Um, so we thought like, okay, maybe the Wild aren't that good, but Kaprizov should be fun to watch. Um, it turns out, yes, he is fun to watch, but he also, like, makes his teammates better. He made Victor Rask um, into a legitimate player, which is surprising. Um, so, so yeah, he gets kudos for that. He also had a pretty good season, um, not just from, like, the team aspect, but he made, uh, he had 51 points in 55 games. Jason Robertson did end up getting second-place votes, um, he ended up with 45 points in 51 games. I have a feeling that this would have been a lot closer if Jason, if the Stars had made the playoffs, um, but they didn't. Um, I, I kind of was thinking that maybe Alex Nedeljkovic, he ended up getting third. Um, he should have probably gotten more uh, votes, I think, just because like he, he was leading the league in general uh goals against average and save percentage but i think the fact that he only played 23 games um kind of hinders that factor like he wasn't really the de facto starter for the most part but um he was probably the only one that 
could have given Kaprizov a run for his money if he played a little bit more games and continued to be this this good. Um, so that's the only other thing that I would say. But um, and I guess yeah, in I I know you're probably going to talk about your Senators with um, both. Uh, Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris, they both had great seasons, but yeah, it just wasn't enough for either one of them. Yeah, uh, the one thing I will give Jason Robertson credit for is that he didn't make this voting unanimous. Um, He ended up with one first place vote. Kaprizov had 99, so he didn't get the unanimous McDavid vote that uh, McDavid got. Wow. Um, But... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, Robertson did get one first place vote. He got 94 second place, uh, three third place votes, and for whatever reason, he got two fourth place votes. Uh, so in all but two of the ballots, he was top three in voting. So uh, it, definitely a good year for Robertson. The one thing that, as you mentioned, Brad, that separated this vote was, first of all, Kaprizov, and I've said many times, played very well down the stretch. He elevated his game. He was scoring big goals, making big plays that turned the game around in Minnesota's favor. And obviously it helps when you play in an easier division, whereas Dallas had um, a tougher road ahead of them and lost time to make up for because their season was slowed down with the pandemic and whatnot. Um, So that, that didn't help Robertson. It all, what did help Robertson uh, was the fact that Joe Pavelski had a good year, so did Rupe Hintz, Jimmy Ben was okay at times. Um, so he, he obviously it would have been better if Tyler Sagan was there the full season and maybe they make the playoffs then. But at the same time, um, there are other names helping out Robertson. Kaprizov had a tougher time creating his own offense and more was expected of him to make those big plays, and he was able to make them. And I think that's ultimately what separated first place from second. Um, Alex Nedeljkovic um, obviously got a lot of the third place votes. He had 62 of those, uh, 14 fourth place, um, and he even got four second place votes, but not a single first place vote. Uh, definitely a difference maker in Carolina, but they also had Morazic and Reimer, and they got results from those guys. Uh, I definitely think he was the better of the three this year, um, but it's not like the Hurricanes were like monumentally screwed if Nadalkovic didn't step up. It certainly helped that he did, but I think um, they could have gotten semi-good results uh, with James Reimer and Ned. Um, and the fact that they played in that tough division, I, I guess maybe puts more respect on Nadalkovic's name as the same case with Robertson. Um, finally getting to the sense, Josh Norris, I didn't realize this, got more points than Igor Shashurkin in the Calder Trophy voting, uh, which, don't get me wrong, I'm happy about it. I'm just a little bit surprised. Uh, finished uh, 18 points higher than Shashurkin. He got 13 third-place votes, same with Shashurkin. Got 29 fourth-place votes, same with Shashirkin, the difference is he got 31 fifth place votes, Shashirkin only got 13 of them. Uh, so that was kind of the tiebreaker. Uh, fifth place votes apparently separates fourth place from fifth. Uh, in terms of Tim Stutzla, he finished ninth with three second, uh, with, sorry, with two uh, third place votes, two fourth place votes, and two fifth place. Uh, Artem Zoop actually appears on this ballot. He got three fifth place votes, 
finished uh, 17th. In terms of other notable rookies, Ilya Sorokin finishes tied for 15th with Kapo Kakinen. Uh, Ily Tolvanen is 14th. When it comes to the Blackhawks, they had two names. Pius Suter finished in 11th place. Kevin Lankinen, the young Finnish goaltender, finished uh, 13th. And uh, the Rangers, Keandre Miller mentioned him earlier in the show. He got a pair of fourth and fifth place votes, finishes with eight voting points and a uh, 12th place finish. Uh, underdog shoutouts I would give to Yegor Sharangovich, who finished in 10th. And uh, Ty Smith, uh, the other Devils rookie, making some waves, uh, finished in seventh place. Yeah, so that that's interesting. Good, uh, <laughs> good breakdown of how it all went. Um, all right, now we have the Selkie, um, and I guess there's an incoming rant coming. But first, first <laughs> off, I, I do can smell it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first off, I do want to give credit to Alexander Barkov, who did end up winning. Uh, Bergeron and uh, Mark Stone were top three. Um, I actually, I, I, before I get on this rant, I had thought that Mark Stone was actually going to win, and I felt like this was the year that uh, Winger was going to win the Selkie because it, you know, he he like you you made the a big time case for him. Uh, a couple of episodes ago where you were saying like, yeah, he's on a line with Chandler Stevenson um, and Ch all of a sudden Chandler Stevenson is good and he's like driving the play there and he's a big reason why Vegas is as lead as they come. So I thought Mark Stone was going to win it and I was fine with it. I think there was also like the last couple of years when Couturier won and O'Reilly won. I was kind of used to the fact that Bergeron, like, I feel like writers are trying to spite Bergeron, even though, like, yeah, he does put up all the top numbers and all the best numbers. Um, just, like, the writers don't want want him winning anymore because they're sick of him, which is fine. It's it's unfair, but whatever. Um, but uh, Bar Barkov does definitely deserve some credit and recognition, and um, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> like, I, I'll admit I'm a Bruins homer, but I don't want to be, like, so foregone where I'm like, okay, you know, Barkov isn't even that good. He he is good. Uh, he does deserve it. He had a, a great year. Um, I didn't even realize this, but, yeah, he was in, because um, when I was looking at points today, um, Barkov finished 13th in points. Um, overall, so and and Bergeron isn't even on here, so so good for for Barkov to be on there. Um, I will say, however, so now the rant's coming. <laughs> um, there is uh, what what is annoying is uh, there was a couple. I think there was like five or six people of voters who didn't even put Bergeron on it on their ballot. Um, and there's one in particular, Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, who... I'm, I'm actually, before you go on your rant, I'm sure. reading a tweet that 11 out of the 100 oh, PWHA voters didn't even include Bergeron in their That's top right. five. I don't know if Freeman was one of them, but I do know that Freeman didn't right. have him in his top three. And he had a valid reason for that, too, because he, he just said that he thinks that Barkov was just, a bit, like, a better player, or, or, like, just had a... Um, like he looked at these stats and this stuff and all that stuff. 
Whereas, it, made, it made more with less. I mean, when you look yeah. at the linemates Barkov had, yeah. and like Bergeron's got like Pasternak and Mark. Yeah, and, and and that was another reason why I thought Mark Stone was going to win because, yeah. like, uh, Mark Stone's linemates are worse than Bergeron's and uh, and what uh, and Barkov. Worse, but less great. They were less great. Well, I mean, when when you say that, like when I want when I when I'm talking that Marshawn should have gotten the heart, I can't also say that like <laughs> he stinks as well when I'm talking about Marshawn. So, so that that's a, another legit reason that you can say is that yes, he he does he does have a lot of good line mates as well. Um, so I don't actually have the tweet on me, but I do have. What Mark Lazarus? Okay, so anyways, Mark Lazarus, who's the uh, he's the athletic beat writer for the Chicago Blackhawks, um, and uh, so yeah, he he tweeted out his list of uh, players, and he didn't have Patrice Bergeron on his list. Um, I guess he was getting out in front of it because like there's not a requirement to to say who you voted for. Um, so I, I think, especially that, if you're yeah. gonna get roasted, by yeah, yeah, all of Boston, and right? and, he, and he did. Um, but uh, so yeah, he had like um, so I don't know his exact order, but I do know that he had uh, Philip Deneau on there, uh, Barkov was on there, so was Mark Stone, um, Mitch Marner was on there. I forget the other guy that he was on there, but those were the guys that uh stood out to me. Um, but, but then he, you know, he replies to that tweet, which is another reason why it's like he's just doing this for attention because he knows that people are going to be talking about it, and that's the only reason why he's doing it. And he, I mean, he angered Bruins fans. And that's the only reason why he's doing it. Um, but he said, Patrice Bergeron is a wonderful player, a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, in fact. He is not, however, the only two-way player in the game. Um so, yes, he, he does have a point, and like we just mentioned, yes, there are other players, um, other two-way players, and you can make a case, like I just said, that, like, you know, Bergeron does have better line mates, so I can understand it from that perspective, and, um, you know, Bergeron may not have had the best offensive year, but, he you know, he does everything else uh, perfectly well. Like, if you go to all the advanced metrics, um, he does have... Barkov and um, Mark Stone beat, and you know. Also, I can you can as I just mentioned, I can understand uh, like getting sick of him, or whatever. That I I get it. Um, you know, if I wasn't a Bruins fan, I probably would be sick of Bergeron always winning this award too. However, and and it's happened the last two times too with Couturier and. Um, Couturier winning and um, and uh, O'Reilly winning, yeah, because yeah. because uh, they you know I you know I I looked at those stats and like Bergeron should be winning, but it's like okay I guess it's O'Reilly's year or I guess it's um, Couturier's year and then it's like okay I guess it's Barkov's year. Um, however, to not even have him on your ballot is insane to me. <laughs> it's just it's just insane to me. It's like. Like yeah, and I know that like Mitch Marner kills penalties, and he um, he was a big reason why the Maple Leafs improved their defense this year, and why we all thought that you know the Maple Leafs were a different team this year, um, in the playoffs. 
or like, and Philip Deneau is a great player. He, you know, as he can prove um, in this whole Stanley Cup run, he's he kind of shut down the entire Vegas uh, uh, front line with Mark Stone. Um, so, so yes, he is a very good player. Um, however, you could make a case that like he isn't um, a good, he isn't that great offensively speaking. But um, but anyways. To not even have Bergeron on there is like just insane to me, and it, the only reason why I think he even put left him off is because he knew this would rile up Bruins fans, and this would rile up just NHL players. And he just wants attention. Congratulations, Mark Lazarus, you get attention, um, but it's not for a good I think reason. He got more smoke than attention. But yeah, okay. no, no, but like I mean, I I think. If, if you were to ask him and if you were to answer honestly, he'd say, yes, I did it for attention. Um, and, um, and, and I did it just because like, um, but like, he, like he knows that it's because people think he's, um, an idiot and doesn't watch hockey, but he's fine with that because people are talking about him. So like any, any publicity is good publicity as they say. So um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty sure Mark Lazarus is doing that. This was a couple of weeks ago, so it's like, it's hard to really like stir up the rant now cause I am still angry about it, but it's hard. Like I was, I was, I was very angry, um, in the You're email. Like the Michael Jordan meme where it's like, yeah. and I took that personally. I did take it personally. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, it's just, it's just ridiculous to me that he, um, he did this, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I've kind of accepted it at this point that just Bergeron doesn't get as much respect as he should get. Um, but, um, and, and I think like the other parts is like, um, you know, I think like people know that Bergeron's a really good player. He, and Lazarus even said it himself, he's making the hall of fame anyway. So it's like, he, he is always going to be respected. Um, it's just ridiculous when, when you like insult Patrice Bergeron that way. So that that part I took a, a little bit of offense towards. Um, yes. <laughs> so my response to Lazarus's um, decision to just uh, I gotta call boycott a Bergeron yeah, from yeah. his selfie sure. ballot. Um, my response to that is. Okay, let's let's say Pat Lafontaine wins the scoring title in like ninety two ninety three because it doesn't happen before. But Mario Lemieux, with everything that he went through, he had those he had battled through like back problems yep. and then that had this health scare. Um, and then despite all that, wins the scoring title in ninety two ninety three, and was down in the point scoring race to Lafontaine by a fair bit and still passed him at the end of the season. Yep. Like if for whatever, like let's say for whatever reason, hypothetical scenario, the Hart trophy goes down to him and Lafontaine. Are you going to vote for Lafontaine just because you're sick and tired of Mary Lemieux winning the award? Yeah. Are you going to vote against Connor McDavid this year just because uh, you know, Austin Matthews right. had like 41 goals in 56 games. It's his ward. I know McDavid was good, but like he should just barely sneak him out for a couple of first right, place right, right. votes or even like finish ahead of McDavid even. Like this is tough. Yeah. Like, 
I know the argument can be said to Mark Lazarus that yes, there are other two-way players in this game that are very good at their job. And we saw a lot of names pop up. Obviously, Alex Barkov got 62 first-place votes. Mark Stone had yep. 11. Uh, Bergeron had 15. Uh, Joel Erickson Eck, who finished fourth in the voting. Well, that was the four. other guy that Mark Lazarus had up there. It was mm-hmm. J.E. Um, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, who previously won the Selkie, he yep. had two first-place votes. Philip Deneau, we mentioned, had one. Jordan Stahl, captain of the Hurricanes, had a pretty bounce-back season offensively. He finished in eighth, and he had a first-place vote. Brad Marchand, your boy, he even had two first-place votes. Yep. Then you get to names like Marcus Foligno, and someone put him first. I That's don't crazy. know who, yep. but he got a first-place vote. Uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, good 2A forward, somehow got a first-place vote, and that's the only vote that he got. Um, you have Nick Paul, who got a fifth-place vote. I mean, great for him, but eh, I don't know. That's uh, Luke Glenn Denning of the Red Wings got two fifth-place votes. Okay, Again, yeah. Great, but okay. How many players who are good 2A players do it better than Patrice Bergeron? No one. That's my rebuttal to Mark Lazarus. How many do it better? And the answer is very, very few. So the fact that he's not even on the top five, to me, is kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and, and for the record, like, yes, I would have him, like, first place if I had a ballot. I mean, obviously I'm biased, so I'll never get a ballot. But, like, to not even have him on a ballot is, is insane to me. That, that, that's the part that, that annoys me. But uh, again, I, I'm trying to limit my Bruins homerism here. Uh, what what do you have on Barkov? Or yeah. Well, uh, what I have on Barkov is basically this is an award that um, it and I I know it probably sounds like it all goes back to contracts, but entering a contract year, yep, this probably ups his price a little bit. Like you're looking at a guy that can anchor a first line that's able to make his linemates better and is, in my opinion, outside of Jonathan Huberto, the face of the Florida Panthers offense, and you need to keep him around. And this vote is a perfect representation of just how good Barkov is, both offensively and defensively. Um, Incredible season, definitely thought he should have been top three. Um, I don't think it's a slam dunk that he should have won, but... I definitely can make the argument for why he should have been first, ahead of yep. Bergeron, ahead of Mark Stone, uh, ahead of a lot of guys, even Joe Pavelski, who finished in seventh in voting without a single first place vote. Um, so a, a very well, highly thought of player, Barkov is, but um, I, I definitely think the voting should have been a bit closer in terms of the first place ballots. but. I also didn't watch as many Florida Panthers games as Florida Panthers fans, and I'm sure the dire Panthers fans will will debate me <laughs> until hell freezes over that uh, Barkov was that good and deserved that amount of first place votes and deserved the award overall. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on Barkov's pretty good season, and it's it's not the best season of his career because he's had a lot of other great campaigns True. that he deserves praise for too. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, he he does he was pretty good. I I would have rather had Mark Stone. I mean, obviously I would rather have Bergeron win, but 
I, I think uh, Mark Stone does deserve it because I think it's around this time that like wingers should get some sulky votes or get get a sulky nomination. Um, but yeah, it's just um, yeah, I guess it's just Barkov's year. Um, all right, uh, we have two more awards to get to here. Um, Jack Adams um, went to Rod Brindamore. And this happened, we kind of talked about this too, when Rod Brindamore did get signed. Um, but uh, yeah, so he gets the Jack Adams. Um, yeah, this, this one kind of makes sense too. Uh, Carolina was a really good team in a very tough division. Um, and Jack, Brin, Jack Brindamore, Rod Brindamore has been um, a really good coach for like the past three years and has been a big reason why Carolina's in this position um, the last couple of seasons. Um, so so good on him. I, I probably would have gone with Dean Evison or because um, I think like he took this wild team that no one thought was um, going to make the playoffs and made them into a contender. Um, so I probably would have given it to Evison, but um, but yeah, it's, it's, again, like, the Jack Adams is kind of a weird award because um, it should go to, like, the the best coach. It shouldn't really go to the most improved coach. Um, but, like, you know, at the same time, like, Carolina had injuries with uh, their goaltender situation, and that would have depleted their roster um, or their season entirely, but... Um, yeah, he was able to motivate their guys and um, and and continue on and, and become the first place team in their in their division. So, and a very tough one as well. So, so good on him for for doing that. And I think that's the main reason also why Rod Brindamore won is because of the strides that the Hurricanes made. I mean, everyone thought you yep. know already they're a top three team in the loaded Metro division that we see. But going into this division, which was just as competitive in different ways, um, a lot of people, including myself, were hoping and thought certainly that the Hurricanes were ready to take that next step. Maybe not like win a division title, but at the very least contend for one. And in a, in a two-horse race, um, at, at least inch for inch, pound for pound, make it tough on the other team to take that. And not only did they finish better than Florida in that division race, they finished better than Tampa, who finished third. Like, not too many people can say that, Um, which I think is part of the reason why Quenville was up for the nomination is because his Panthers did so well considering where they were. Um, I would probably say Dean Evison did more with less in a short period of time, and I felt that he would have been my vote but only just above Rod Brindamore because I really like what Rod Brindamore yep. did. He got 61 first place votes for a reason. Um, so uh, I can't really complain with the voting. I, I thought I thought it was fairly even, especially when you consider what the Hurricanes were before Brindamore got there. And I think past success also dictated that too. Um, in terms of other coaches who got uh, some love, Jared Bednar, who I thought should have been in the top three as well, when you consider the Avs won the President's Trophy in a neck-and-neck battle with Vegas. Um, he got 12 first-place votes, finished in fourth. Uh, Mike Sullivan's 23rd-place votes were enough to get him fifth-placed in the voting. 
Uh, Sheldon Keefe was sixth. DeBoer was seventh uh, for Vegas. Uh, interesting uh, to note how things broke down with the final four teams. As we mentioned, Peter DeBoer was seventh. John Cooper, the Tampa Bay Lightning, tied for eighth with a second and a third place vote. Um, Barry Trotz was way at the bottom with a third place vote tied with Jeremy Galton of the Blackhawks, which wow. I mean, I I know that we all know Barry Trotz is a good coach and he's won with yep. several teams, but when DJ Smith has one more second place vote and the same amount of third place votes as him, and DJ Smith is tied with the likes of John Cooper. I'm sorry, I love what DJ Smith has done for the Ottawa Senators, but Barry Trotz should be higher on the list yeah. than DJ Smith. After everything that Barry Trotz has done, that's more than what DJ Smith has done in two years with the Sens. Yeah. Even though the Islanders on paper are probably a better team. Well, than that, that kind still. of that kind of goes against what, or that kind of goes with what I'm saying about the Jack Adams Award is that mm-hmm. it's always. It's based off of like the most improved team when it should actually go to the the actual best coach, uh, but then again, like if it went to the best coach, um, every every year it would probably be John Cooper and Barry Trotz every year, you know. And so. Mike Babcock would have what like five Jack Adams. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, I, I just I just found it funny in a very sad way that Perry Trotz was like right at the bottom there. Right. You should you should have gotten more respect there. Um but I'm sure he'll take his final four appearances. Yeah, I'm so sure he's okay Adams. with that. So yep. but uh, but but yeah No um, I agree with you though. There, about there, that. there were a couple of surprises but I think overall the top three they got it right. Yep. Um and for all you Bruins fans keeping score uh, Bruce Cassidy tied for 11th, so he finished higher than Barry Trotz. So I guess that's his consolation prize for the New York State. I'm right. sure. I'm uh, sure. He got more vo- He got more points in the voting than Trotz did. So. Well, he did win last year, so I, I think yeah. <laughs> he's everyone's. <laughs> awesome yeah, yeah. Um, did you mention Joel Quenville got third? I did mention that uh, okay. that he got third and what he did with the Florida Panthers. I liked how. Sam Bennett was able uh, to mesh really right. well, and how he was able to, um, h- how he was able to integrate the lines with all of those new yep. faces, like Alex Winberg having a great year. Um, Nikita Gusev had some form of success when yep. he got there, not nearly as much as Bennett and yeah, yeah. Forsling and the others, but still, again, a lot of first-year players like like Duclair, like Forsling, yeah. making names for themselves. Mackenzie Weaker having the season that he had on the back end. Aaron not Ekblad to, yeah, not bouncing to, back, too. Right, and and the fact that, like, Aaron Ekblad had, like, a uh, injury in the middle of the season and he was mm-hmm. able to still motivate the, yeah. the team and, and all that stuff. And also, like, Bob, managing Bobrovsky and Chris Treger um, at the same time. That was impressive, too. But I... I, there, I there was... Yeah. There's a lot for him to manage, and he did it very well. So, yeah, definitely deserving sure. of a top three there. Can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess I just missed when you talked about it. Um, yeah. All right, and then the last one we're, we're going to mention. Actually, there's two. I'm going to mention briefly the Lady Bing. Uh, okay. Just mostly because uh, Jacob Slavin uh, won. He only had two penalty, uh, two penalty minutes all year. Um and that penalty that that penalty was 
like an over the glass penalty, uh, which yeah, is like the most glass, yeah. the most gentlemanly uh, award ever. Um, I also want to mention it because Damien Cox went on Twitter because he was angry because he thought McDavid should have won it and he felt like this was a disgrace to anyone voting for it because I think he's confusing the Lady Bing for like the Hard Trophy or something or like the Rocket Richard because like it has nothing to do with how many points you get. It's just um, and he went at, he went on Twitter again when he noticed that Jacob Slavin didn't even get a Norris Trophy vote. So, so he's just like, oh, so you guys are voting for, like, Jacob Slavin, this, like, random player, uh, defenseman, and you're not even, like, you don't even think he's the best defenseman. It's just like, no, like, he, he, like, he legitimately had, like, a very impressive season where he doesn't get a ton of penalty minutes. Uh, but I did want to mention that just because it's like, he did have an impressive season from that standpoint. He's probably the only one that actually cares about winning that type of award, too, um, as well. Uh, but uh, the other award that we're going to mention here is a G GM of the Year. This one is kind of a weird award because they do this after the first round. So it's like they, they do have some hindsight. Um, uh, but uh, Lou Lamarillo ended up winning this award. Um, I, I would imagine it's because they ended up, um, with, um, you know, with the Kyle Palmieri trade and the, um, Travis Zajac trade. Um, so I think that had something to do with it. Uh, Bill Zito and Mark Bergevin, uh, were two and three. Bill Zito, as we talked about, like he did get Sam Bennett, um, who helped them a lot, um, and Nikita Gusev. So... Um, so those are good uh, deals for him, but and then Mark Bergevin, like you know, um, I guess like even still with hindsight, he probably should have won this award just because now his team's in the the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, even though I guess he did make a lot of questionable moves, but um, but uh, yeah, I feel like if you're judging this based off of after the second round of the playoffs, like, you know, it should probably go to, like, I mean, obviously it should probably go to Julian Brisois and uh, uh, um, Mark Bergevin, but, you know, I think Lamarillo does deserve some credit for what he was able to do, um, and, yeah, so so there, those are the GM of the Year awards. Yeah, and there was... Um... Uh, Blue finishing uh, first overall, Lou Lamarillo, the GM of the Islanders. Also the second straight year um, that he's won the award, which is an NHL record, which it isn't really, I guess it's something, but it isn't really something when you consider the GM of the Year award hasn't really been around for that long. Yep. But it definitely shows how much has changed since he's taken over. It's been three years since Tavares left, and the Islanders made it to round two, uh, year one, conference finals the next year, conference finals this year. And in doing so, the culture changed. Uh, they got a lot of the current pieces that were on that last team with Tavares to buy in. Uh, guys like Josh Bailey, John Gabriel Pajot, Brock Nelson, Kyle Palmieri. Uh, Pajot, by the way, had a hand injury, needed surgery for it after the season. Still played very well for the Islanders. 
and everyone from top to bottom, offense, defense, goalies, coaching staff, they all bought into this thing. And there's no doubt that what Lamorello has been able to do uh, is deserving of recognition as the best GM. At the same time, it's funny how the roles flip for coach of the year and GM of the year. I thought coach of the year was whoever did the most in this short period of time. Whereas in the GM of the year, it seems the guy who's done the most over the longest period of time is getting the W's. Right. Look at what Bill Zito did in Florida. He's just as responsible for what Joel Quenville did with the Panthers. True. Like, like he brought in Alex Winberg on a cheap deal. He yeah, brought in Nikita Gusev for next to nothing. He got Sam Anthony Bennett. Duclair for next to nothing. Um, Sam Bennett as well. RFA. Yeah, like... There's a lot that he did in a short period of time. Yep. Um, in a very short offseason, he gets the job after the Panthers are eliminated by the Islanders in the play-in. And he's got a couple of months to realize, okay, what the heck am I going to do? Which players am I going to bring in? And they finish higher in the standings than Tampa Bay, and they're jousting for the division title for a good chunk of the season. Like, yep. what more do you want from your team other than that? other than maybe a Stanley Cup title, other than maybe a run to the Final Four. This Florida Panthers team made a lot of positive strides in a fairly tough division, and they're considered to be one of the teams to watch in the Atlantic Division, which is certainly a lot better than the last time they are in the Atlantic Division. They were struggling to make the playoffs to save their life. So I think Bill Zito probably should have won this award. I think Mark Bergman is safe to say... um, should have been second given how the Canadians played in the playoffs during the regular season. They were kind of suspect. So I think overall Bergevin did well enough to get a top three spot. I think second or third is where he, he should have been. I also think Joe Sackick should have done better than a fourth place vote. I think he deserved at least top three in that department um, Bill Guerin, a little bit of respect to his name. He got uh, 17 points and finished seventh. Uh, John Waddell also deserves a little bit of credit. He finished ninth in the voting. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know about Pierre Dorian getting a single third place vote. Like, I know that they've drafted well and the Sens have made some positive strides. At the same time, he gave an awful lot of money to Evgeny Dadanov and Matt yeah. Murray, and both did not play up to their expectations, not even close this year. So I probably wouldn't have given a top three vote to Dorian for that reason. Um, I think I think I that think, that had more to do with. I think that had more to do with. I I think to defend your sense for a little bit of a second. I think it had more to do with the fact that, like, we all expected the Sens to be fighting for the top pick, but now they're, you know, they're getting the tenth pick um, in the in the draft. So, um, so I, I think like they they did make a lot of strides to the point where like they're now a mid tier team versus like a bottom tier team. So, um, so I think that was a big reason why um, they they deserve some recognition for that. But yeah. 
I, I, I also know what you're saying. It's like, yeah, Matt Murray and Dadanoff didn't really do so well for them. But I, I, I think there is some credit due for the, their, their drafting and, um, and just uh, and, and being better than expected. So I guess it's a little bit of a 50-50 yeah. situation when you think about it. Like the drafting and the developing right. and where you consider the, where yeah, the sins were. It's a little like, different than... A couple of years Getting ago, where it stuff, seemed yeah. like everyone was just leaving. Left right, 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 and like they were the yeah. laughing stock of the league. Whereas yeah. now, that's the Sabers. So, so I <laughs> think unfortunately for the Sabers. Right, right, unfortunately for the Sabers. So I think, I think there there is something to that where it's like they are an improved team versus like what they were a year ago. So, but like I I also know what you're saying. It's like the, yeah, the Dadanoff and Matt Murray uh, signings aren't. We're the best signings of any team, so I, I, I get what you're saying there. Um, and lastly, I'm, I'm just going through your notes, and I noticed this here, which I found kind of interesting. So the first All-Star and the second All-Star, do you know who votes for this, for that stuff? Is it just the, like, the NHL does it, or is it just... Um, I can't. I can't remember exactly how the voting goes, okay. but it's. I think it's a bit different from how um, the voting for the awards went in Got terms it. of. I think who voted for it, okay. but yeah, there is some sort of difference. Okay. Well, anyways, I just found it interesting that the first All Star was uh, so McDavid, Marner, and Marshawn were the, your forwards. Uh, McCarr and Adam Fox were your defensemen. Um, Andre Vasilevsky gets the goalie, uh, whereas uh, Fleury is on the second All-Star team, yep. which is mm-hmm. which is strange because Fleury won the Vezina, um, but Vasily didn't win it. And also interesting that Marner makes the first All-Star team, and he didn't even get like any votes anywhere. So it's just that that part was a little bit strange. But um, but that, and then the second All-Star team was Fleury. Uh, Victor Hedman and Dougie Hamilton, uh, Matthews, Rantanen, and Huberdeau were your forwards there. Um, also, uh, Bergeron and Crosby, uh, this is a player's poll, but they were voted the most complete players. So at least Bergeron gets something. And oh, and Bergeron won the Marc Messier Award. So he does, yeah. he, uh, he, do, he gets runner-up for the Selkie, but he does get the Messier Award, which is uh, a little bit of a nice honor, I guess. Um also, a quick shout-out to Josh and Horst, who made it to the All-Rookie team. Well-deserved. Yep, yep. Uh, that's a good one. Kaprizov and Robertson, as well as Ty Smith, Keandre Miller, and uh, Alex Ndelkovic um, were your defensemen and goaltenders. Um, oh, and I guess it was a foregone conclusion that Oscar Lindbaum won the Bill Masterton just because he survived cancer. Um, didn't you win last year for the same reason? I think that's. I the think only... he was no, no. He was oh, nominated, nominated. But Bobby Ryan won. Bobby, that's right. That's right. But I, I, I think that. everyone was in consensus that if he got nominated the next year, he slam dunky. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, uh, and then uh, we're gonna leave this off with uh, what's happening with the actual hockey that's happening right now. <laughs> um, so Tampa Bay leads Montreal three nothing. Um, it's it's kind of been this is kind of what we were expecting or like it seems like the Habs have kind of gone back to earth a little bit. Uh, Carey Price hasn't been as good as we thought he would be or as he has been in the last three rounds. Um, 
and Tampa Bay has just been bringing it in this. This was more of what I was expecting it uh, to be, where, like, you know, Carey Price wasn't as consistent um, as he usually, or, or as he has been the last couple of seasons. Um, I am a little bit surprised, though, because I thought Montreal would have been a little bit better um, or, like, at least won one game. I guess it's not really necessarily over, um, but, like, Montreal hasn't even led at any stage of these three games. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's a bit unfortunate. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. Um, we, I should also mention that we're recording this on Monday. Um, there is a chance that when you hear this, uh, Tampa could sweep Montreal and we'll know that Tampa won in which case we'll have we'll we'll do like a full breakdown of all the games next week um, in which case I believe if they do sweep Montreal it'll be the first Stanley Cup final sweep since 98 when the Red Wings swept the Capitals yep. right quick and four straight yeah I I get a I get the sense that uh, like Montreal's Probably, I think Montreal's going to win this game tonight, but then uh, Tampa's probably going to win game five. Um, that would be my guess. Um, but Tampa Bay's we'll actually hoping they don't sweep so the, the Bulls can clinch at home, yeah. which is kind of funny. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have more on this series next week when it's, uh, hope, when it's supposedly more um, complete and we can uh, talk about it more, but... Um, yeah, the, these uh, these three games haven't even really been that exciting, too. That like it's not like I can't even really tell you anything that's really happened in this series either. That's how um, that's how crazy it's been. Well, uh, there there were a couple of things that really stuck out to me. Obviously, the first three games, and you look at the amount of time the Habs have led in this series. That's basically the big story here. Right. Uh, this series has been tied for 44 minutes and 13 seconds. Tampa Bay's held the lead for 135 minutes and 47 seconds. Montreal has led for, wait for it, zero minutes, zero seconds. Yep. They haven't had a single lead in this series. They haven't scored first in any of the three games they've played. In games they did score first prior to this finals, um... They were 11-2 in 13 games where they scored first, and they scored first in 13 of 17 uh, before Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals began. And I think Game 2 was probably the turning point, just like it was in 93 for the Habs when they last won the Cup, except this time around it worked against the Habs um, because of Andre Vasilevsky. Andre Vasilevsky... Yep was the reason in the second period why Montreal didn't head to the dressing room with the lead. The shots were, at one point in the late stage of the second period, 16-2 to for Habs and for the Habs in the middle frame. And Vasilevsky was keeping this game tight. I think it was um, I think it was tied at one at that point. And it, it looked like, um, at the very least, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning needed that period to end badly they needed to regroup going to the dressing room and like really calm down because the Habs were just skating circles and then Tampa gets the final five shots of the second period and one of them is an improbable goal by Blake Coleman who's basically on oh, yeah. his belly Philip Deneau 
who's been getting a lot of sulky trophy love the past couple of years. He is diving for the puck as well. In fact, the puck is on to no stick before Blake Coleman gets his shot off. And Blake Coleman still manages to get his stick on the puck and get a good enough shot to elude Carey Price with, like, not even a full second left on the clock. Yep. Left in the second period. That goal, all of a sudden, changes the momentum in Tampa Bay's favor. Later in the third period, uh, what... Where was that pass going played by Joel Edmondson behind the net? Ends up in the direction of Andre Palat. He's like, thank you. I'll just take that to my stick. Bank it off price. 3-1 game. That basically seals game two. Tampa goes on to win 3-1. And all of that was made possible because Andre Vasilevsky is very good at snuffing out momentum. And there were a couple of times in game two and in game three where Vasilevsky didn't look good when he was exposed by the Montreal offense. But he bounces right back. The team does too. They get some quality scoring from Tyler Johnson in game three. And it continues the theme of different guys stepping up in big scenarios for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the Habs haven't done that enough, and it's cost them. So I'm not entirely surprised that Tampa Bay is up three to nothing. I think game two is a scenario of if Montreal could win it, that would obviously be ideal. And game three was a scenario of Montreal needs to win. It's their home building. The momentum's on their side. And what happens in the first period, first four minutes, three to four minutes, Tampa scores twice. Same period, three to four minutes in, happens again, Tampa scores twice. Bingo, bango, that's your ballgame. Yep. So the, the ability to handle momentum has worked in Tampa Bay's favor so far, and that's why they're up big time in this series. I honestly think the Habs aren't done. They're going to put up one heck of a fight, and it'll be one heck of a story if they reverse sweep the Lightning. It's been done before in NHL history, but not since the 1940s when the Leafs did it, oddly enough. But I think if you give a team like Tampa Bay four chances in a row to win the finals, they're probably going to convert on at least one of them. Yep. So I think it's a matter of when, not if Tampa wins. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for the record, I, I've kind of found myself a little bit bored by these these games. It's not to mention, like, it's not just because, like, I don't like these teams, but it's just, like, I, I feel like I would get more excited if Montreal did put up more of a shot. So I hope that Montreal does, like, win tonight at least, uh, but then maybe Tampa Bay, like, wins the next couple of games or something like that, so... Um, and in that game, too, uh, that is a good reminder. Uh, I don't know if you explicitly said it, but uh, Mo- uh, Montreal had 43 shots on goal. Uh, Tampa had 23 shots on goal, yeah. which is just uh, crazy that it's like half of half of the goals were, uh, or ha- half of the shots were on Montreal, the losing team. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the, uh, an interesting part to it as well. Um, yeah, so, so that's about it. Do you have any, I guess we kind of already said our predictions. Um, I would guess though, like, do you have any other things you want to say about this series or I don't know. I think we'll talk about the con Smythe next, next week, but I would imagine it'll probably be Basilevsky. He's been unbelievable, but. Um. I honestly couldn't pick a con Smythe winner right now. It's, I think right now it's between. 
It's between points, Kucherov and Vasilevsky. If Montreal somehow gets into a game seven, Price is in the conversation yep. again. Um, but I think it's either one of those three players on Tampa Bay that gets it. But I honestly couldn't tell you who because they're equally deserving. All right. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be Vasilevsky. That's my okay. prediction. Do you think he gets a shutout in the clinching game or no? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yes. I'm calling it. <laughs> in true Vasilevsky fashion. You yes, think yes. Okay. Um, all right. In, uh, uh, so you can follow us on Instagram, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Um, you can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elser. We'll talk again in episode 277, where we break down the winner of this NHL season on the Lace Em Up podcast.